Welcome to the Inside Loris Athletics podcast and today's episode of the Hall of Fame Celebration Series. My name is Emily Adelfinger, Director of Athletic Communications at Loris College, and I am here today with 2020 Hall of Fame inductee Pete Maldonado, a 1992 graduate of Loris and national champion for the Duhawk Wrestling Program. So Pete, thank you so much for joining me today. And first off, let me congratulate you on your induction into the Hall of Fame. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. For sure. And so let's talk a little bit about your uh, experience before coming to Loris. So you were an accomplished wrestler um, as, a, as a child in New York State. And so how did you get started in the sport and what drew you to love it? Um, well, you know, it's kind of uh, interesting. What got me started was I was walking home with a friend of mine and we got jumped um, by a couple of guys that put knives to our necks and said they were going to beat us up. And I decided to get even. You don't jump me and not get my wrath. So I was this uh, rambunctious seventh, eighth grader. And I just, I went back. I, I could tell you, I threw a bottle of a brick and a bottle through their front window of their house. I was uh, I, literally a seventh, eighth grader and I was getting even. And this guy who was with me, he was the wrestler. And he goes, man, you got so much energy. You got you, you're, you're fast, man. Why don't you come and join the wrestling team? Uh, that night when I was throwing a brick and a bottle uh, through that house, I sprained my ankle so bad. The next day I needed somebody to carry my books. So he was carrying my books for a whole like a whole week and a half. And that led to introduction of wrestling um, with him. His name was Herbert Onwood. He since has passed away. But he introduced me to uh, wrestling. And the first wrestling match I ever had, I didn't even understand what wrestling was all about. But the first match I had, I slammed the guy. The guy quit. So they gave me the spot. And my first year in wrestling, I went 10-0. and 0. My first five matches were five pins. I was a natural. I was. Um, I won the uh, junior high uh, freshman tournament. Um, I was most valuable wrestler of the tournament, and it was just upscale from there. I just, I, I love scrapping. I love being on the mat. I love tangling up with people. Um, it became a neighborhood thing after that, and all my buddies started joining wrestling. I got plenty of my friends from the neighborhood that went on to do better things in their lives because we got involved with wrestling instead of throwing bricks through windows, which was what I was doing um, in that time. But uh, God was good. You know, he just, I'm talking 1978 that happened. And um, I was just a rambunctious, you know, teenager, not even a teenager, just doing things I shouldn't have been doing. And God led me somewhere that I did not realize, but that's how I got involved with wrestling. That's literally my story of the introduction to wrestling. Herbert Armwood walked me to a wrestling room and I just fell in love with it from that moment on. That's such a unique take on, you know, your first experience with a sport. It's not, I was not expecting that. So that's incredible. Of You know, as you said, it was very raw and, you know, that raw talent that you had. Um, and clearly, you know, you went on to continue to have more success. So it's evident, you know, that something was there and it was the right path for you to take. Um, oh, absolutely. 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 I, I went on to wrestle that year, my first year, I did the state. I won state uh, as a peewee wrestler. And then I went on to nationals and I took fifth in the nation as a peewee wrestler. 
So wrestling just became part of our family thing after that. Um, and we just fell in love with it. Absolutely. And so going into high school then, um, so our after high school, I guess you went and you wrestled with the Marine Corps um, and was a member of the Greco-Roman champion team there and then went on to do two seasons at SUNY Delhi Junior College. Um, so those experiences are a little bit different, I would imagine, being with the Marine Corps and then um, kind of on that college level. Um, so how do you think that that helped you prepare for your career getting to Loris um, when you started in 1989? Well, you know, coming from the neighborhood that I came from, uh, I came from a very rough neighborhood in New York and um, it was trouble. My street was a street where one end was cracked. The other one was heroin. The middle, they sold marijuana and I've never done drugs in my entire life, but because wrestling took me out of that type of environment and made me make some choices. I decided to join the Marine Corps. My brothers followed me in wrestling and it changed their lives. Uh, my younger two brothers. And um, I was going to go to college, but didn't have the money um, to back me up to go to college. Uh, was doing all kinds of things that was just going to end up getting me in trouble instead of helping me. And I couldn't find my way back to a wrestling program and we didn't have the funds. It just wasn't there. It was that the money wasn't there. We lived on welfare. Um, we were, uh, you know, a single mom, five kids, and we just didn't have it. So I joined the Marine Corps. While in the Marine Corps, I did every sport imaginable, volleyball, soccer, track and field, boxing. Um, and somebody took notice that I was involved in multiple sports and asked me, Hey, what is it that you do like? And I said, wrestling. So when I told him that it was a major in the Marine Corps, he gave, got me an invitation to try out for the all-Marine wrestling team, which I was an all-Marine wrestler for the United States Marine Corps. I wrestled for them for um, three years, going on four. And then I had some officer that just wasn't happy that every year I would be gone for six months instead of working with top secret classified materials, I'd be off wrestling. And I actually, in Camp Lejeune, formulated a wrestling program down there in North Carolina, which I was leading it. I was leading the one at high school. I was my captain, uh, my, my junior and senior year, I was captain of the wrestling program. And uh, in doing those things, it was awesome because I realized that God had a plan for me then and I gave my life to God, but I didn't follow it. I didn't, I didn't know how to follow him. But I kept wrestling um, for these different organizations, the Marine Corps. And once I was done with there, they didn't want to let me wrestle any longer. So I opted to leave the Marine Corps and go to college. And um, Delhi became, um, I have to get a charger. Delhi became a place for me to go because um, a friend of mine who is a two-time Olympic wrestler. We wrestled in many teams together. Actually, I'm visiting him tomorrow. Annabelle Nieves um, was on this uh, international team and, and he was on the Delhi team. And I went looking for him. When I got there, I found out that he left to East Strasburg. So, but I stayed, wrestled in Delhi and, and started that career, which was really nice there while I was there. Right. And so then coming to college at Loris, um, you know, obviously you had that springboard of the experience and continuing to wrestling and building, you know, your resume um, and your skill set. So then when you got to Loris, 
you actually had a bit of a slow start. You know, you're, you have all this momentum building, you know, from the Marine Corps and Delhi, and now you get to Loris and you sustain an injury, you tear your ACL, which is one of those injuries that no one wants to hear as an athlete. It's like, you know, the absolute end of the world, because even for your case, they didn't think you'd be able to continue your career, but you did. Yeah, you did. So let's talk about that. Well, you know, I was, I, I was at Delhi and there was a coach there named Larry Reynolds. Larry Reynolds came to Loris. Larry Reynolds, I took a year off because I actually broke my leg after my first year of college. So I took a year off of school. I then went to, uh, I got recruited by Larry Reynolds because I was in the wrestling circuit and I was really winning Greco and uh, freestyle championships in New York. When I went to uh, Loris, I had nobody up there. I didn't know anybody other than the coach. And I'll tell you a story. I mean, it helped my life. I could tell you things that you'd be surprised. Um, Larry Reynolds really helped me. I was a kid that didn't have much. So finding my way and, and, and taking what I needed became a habit. I later on in life realized that God was leading me. Um, when I was at Delhi, uh, Larry Reynolds, as he recruited me, he helped me quite a bit. Um, part of that was getting me out of trouble when I was in trouble. And uh, some of the things that I was doing were just trying to survive, you know, uh, trying to make the ends meet with no money. Uh, you know, I left the Marine Corps. The Marine Corps wasn't really giving me any funds to survive. And I was just trying to make it work however I could with whatever I could. And uh, I was in there in Delhi. Nobody knows this story, but the story propelled me to become the, a probation officer later on in life that I found out how God was leading. And what happened was I was downtown. Here's this wrestler just trying to survive. And one of my buddies at wrestling, the wrestling, A.T. Arneson, who was an All-American for Loris, uh, had, had suffered an accident. And I had some rub burns. And I went and I didn't have enough money to purchase both of the medical items that I needed. So I used to think that I was a Robin Hood of the neighborhood and back in my town. So I went into a store and I took something and I paid for something. The lady caught me. I ran. I was gone. I was so fast. I was halfway to the college. And then I got caught. And I realized, and what caught me was my own conscience, that, that commitment I had made to God a long time ago. And I turned myself around. And I went back to the store. Nobody knows, nobody at Loris ever, ever, ever heard the story. What I'm telling you right now, it's interesting because this story, I repeated this story over and over and over to probationers throughout the year of my time as a probation officer. And the reason why I, I went back, I, I, what caught me was my own conscience. I walked myself back to the store. I threw myself at the mercy of this lady. I begged her for a second chance. She said, no. The police officer walked into the store. I said, I was done. Larry Reynolds was going to kick me off the wrestling team. It was over. I was head packing back, heading back to New York. This was my sophomore year. And I was trying to survive on my own. And I didn't have, I didn't have a mother that was sending me money. I didn't have a dad that was sending me money. I didn't have anybody that was sending me money. It was just me. And uh, I got some money from the Marine Corps, but it was very little to even cover my expenses at, on campus, let alone my off-campus expenses. And that day, 
the police officers walking me out the door and I knew I was done. It was over. I was headed home. And right at the door, the police officer stopped, turned around, went back into the store, begged the lady for me. She walked up to me, says, okay, I'm going to give you a chance, but you never walk in the store again. Well, I went back to the store three, three years later to thank her for that opportunity after I graduated from Loris College. But nobody knew that story. That story, I've told that story over a hundred times. When I became a probation officer in Massachusetts, the number one crime was shoplifting. And what story would I say? That story. What called me was that I made a promise to God that I would never shoplift again if he got me out of that jam. Well, I've never shoplifted ever again from that moment on. I went back and uh, I didn't suffer an ACL tear that first year. I suffered broken ribs and I lost to a guy and didn't make it to nationals. The guy that won nationals that year in my weight class, I had beaten him. The following year in a practice, I tore my ACL. And yes, I was shocked. I was, I was devastated. The doctor told me that I was done. It was over. And I remember walking out of that doctor's office, calling my younger brother and crying over the phone, telling him that wrestling was over. And I said, don't tell mom. I can't tell her that I need surgery. And he said, all right, I won't, I won't tell her. And I remember my life. I was like, oh, so where do I go from here? I got to leave college. I can't wrestle. To me, everything was wrestling. Wrestling was who I was, my existence, my love, my passion. Everything was wrestling. And when they told me I needed an ACL replacement, I was devastated. The coach had left. We had a new coach. I walked back into the room and I asked that coach, that, that doctor, hey, doc, how many kids can win a national title without an ACL? And he goes, one in a hundred, one in a thousand. Nobody really does. And I'm like, well, I want to be that one. I'm not getting surgery. And I walked out. That year was one of my worst wrestling years. I barely could cut weight. Um, I weighed 145 normally. I was cutting down to 125. I couldn't run. I couldn't do much. Um, I bumped up a weight class. Kirk Christensen was a phenomenal wrestler for Loris, one of my good friends. I would beat him easily. Well, at first, not easily. But then later on, it became easy for me. But Kurt was just a great guy. He stepped in. He placed fourth that year at weight class. I missed nationals by a match. The guy that won nationals, I lost in double overtime that year. I was kicking myself. I didn't have no way to, I didn't have no means, no support. I bought a mountain bike with a part-time job, shipped it to Puerto Rico, and I took some classes that summer of 1991. And from May until August, all I did was ride my mountain bike, wrestle for Puerto Rico. Uh, I mean, what the Marine Corps did, what college did, was prepare me to wrestle internationally. Um, there I am in Puerto Rico. I shouldn't have been on the Puerto Rican national team. They put me on the team. I shouldn't have been in Pan America, in the Cuba uh, Pan American Games. I'm in Cuba, the summer of 1991, wondering how the heck did I get there? I took fifth and sixth, was wrestling against Dan Gable's kids. Um, I, I saw Dan Gable out there. We used to go wrestle with them every year. And that was life-changing for me because 
I came back from Cuba. I was headed to a beach in Puerto Rico. I had a week left. And my best friend, uh, Annabel Nieves, who's the East Strasburg head wrestling coach, we're walking. And I just said to him, hey, I hope I'm an All-American this year. He stopped, turned around. He looked at me and he said, you're the next Division Three national champ. And I just looked at him and said, okay, sure, whatever. Let's just go to the beach. That's how the first time I heard being coming a national champ was that summer of 91. I came back and literally the therapy that I received from riding a mountain bike all over the island that summer um, was phenomenal. Now, it wasn't all easy. During that summer, my mother suffered an addiction uh, to gambling. She ended up in a hospital, hospitalized. Um, I didn't know how to get back to college. I had $45 in my pocket and I was stranded in New York City and I, in New York. And two of my friends put almost $1,000 together, got me a plane ticket and told me to go back to college and get my degree. And one of them was Wayne Leroy Jackson, who his brother was a gold medalist in the Olympics. And the other one was Luis Ortiz, who was a childhood friend. These, these guys got together and got me back to Loris for my senior year, or else I was stuck. I had $45. My mother was in a hospital in Puerto Rico. There was no way I was going to get it done. I don't have a father that's bankrolling me, sending me anywhere. It was just me. Um, when I think back, those people that God put in my life, Wayne, Lewis, they helped me. They got me back to college. And there was a Mrs. Clark. Mrs. Clark must have passed away by then. Mr. Clark, he was a professor at Loris. Mrs. Clark, when I got back to Loris, she hired me. She would pay me two and $300 to cut her lawn. She would send it to the college on my behalf to pay my school bill. I never paid my school bill on time, ever, until my second semester, senior year, my bill was fully paid. But I tell you, it was by the mercy and grace of God that it happened because my senior year, um, my first semester, I had a 1.7 GPA. And my coach said, you're not going to wrestle second semester. And I told him, coach, don't worry. I got this, man. I got this. And he just looked at me. He was frantic. What he didn't know was I only had taken one exam. I got a D in it. It was my only midterm grade. So he was freaking out, which I wasn't. I was like, listen, I got this. I, I haven't taken it. I knew I didn't take any exams anywhere else. So I ended up that semester with a three point something GPA. I graduated, I think, with a two, six, two, seven. My master's GPA is a three, eight right now. But you go figure, you know, God has a plan. He's going to get it done with you. Absolutely. And, you know, as you said, there is a plan and yours kind of took a few different paths, but obviously it got to that point where you really knew where you were supposed to be and, you know, what you were supposed to be doing. And so, as you kind of said in that 1992 season, your senior year, that was the year that you were the division three national champion. Um, so it was the sixth national champion in program history, but the first when the school was division three, there had been NAIA champions before, but you know, you were the first division three um, at 126 pounds. And so that year, you also had a 33 and three record, if I'm not mistaken. Um, you know, so coming yeah. back from everything that you had come through and the work that it took to get there, um, 
what was that senior season and that national championship experience like? I mean, because as you've said, this is something you had worked for and wrestling is such a large part of, you know, who you are. And so what did that season mean to you to have it all come together? Well, I got to tell you, I got pictures of those guys, Leo Costello, Matt Broderick, Tim Toynton, Steve Strap, I mean, Rippinger, Kirk Christensen. They are the team. That team, we wrestled, we practiced, we used to go banging hard in the room, and it was a bunch of guys that pushed you, and they were tired of me because I came back with this attitude, hey, you guys, uh, by the way, you're talking to the next Division Three national champ. And they looked at me like, shut up. And I was like, I would walk in the locker room, okay, guys, guess what? And they'd say, what? National champ just walked into the locker room. And I had this, I got to tell you, my wife still tells me, See, oh, man, you're never, that's never going to leave you. I had this arrogant chip on my shoulder. I'm going to make it. I told the athletic director, I don't remember who the athletic director was that year, but I remember he saw me in the field house and I used to work at the field house and he says, Hey, Maldonado, right? I said, yeah. He goes, you're going to make it to nationals. You're going to, you know, be an all American. I says, no, I'm going to win nationals this year. I must have think this guy probably looked at me like what a cocky, arrogant kid, you know? And I just, that year, I mean, Kirk Christensen was pushing me every day, fourth in the nation. And he's in my face every day going after my spot. I mean, I was just lighting it up on the mat. I, my losses were to division um, one wrestlers. I wrestled uh, Terry Brands. I wrestled another guy from, uh, uh, what college was that? I think it was uh, Drake. Marquette University, was yeah, it? That's right, Marquette mm-hmm. University. And I don't remember the last one, but I remember it was, it was some tough wrestling that I was doing. And with, with D1 guys, and those were my only losses. Um, but I got to tell you, Leo Costello was an All-American. Kirk Christian was an All-American. We had guys that were in that room that were tough. They were in your face. And I learned later in life that All-Americans make All-American. Kirk Christensen pushed me to be an All-American. Uh, Leo Costello was one of the first that greeted me when I got off the mat at Nationals. I remember... I had this attitude. I was in nationals. I was losing. I was losing. I had the match on, on tape. Um, I was down two to five. I'm wrestling Tyrone Frambro, three-time All-American. Um, uh, Tyrone was coming at me with everything he had. And I, was, I, I said, you know what? I'm losing, but I'm going to win this match. That, I said that in the middle. And I remember this like it was yesterday because Tyrone was relentless. I looked at that match over and over. I said, I should have lost this match. I ended up winning eight, five. When I got off that mat, Leo Costello hugged me. My brothers hugged me. They were the only two there for my family and coach. And I just knew I ended up with nine stitches that at the conference, I got five from Tyrone at nationals. I got four more from Tyrone in my eye. And, um, I walked out of there just knowing that everything I said I was going to do, I did that year and I left it on the mat. Um, it propelled me. I did so much after that with wrestling. Nobody really knows, but it was just, again, nobody knows my background. Nobody knew. I didn't, I didn't tell these stories because 
one, I, I'm never, I've never been like that to tell these private story. I just let them be the part of my history and it's just private. It's mine. The shoplifting, the throwing bricks and, and, and bottles full of urine through a glass and, and doing that kind of stuff as a kid, I was kind of ashamed of it. And so I didn't really tell people. Um, and I kept it to myself because here I am, served in the Marine Corps, did this, did that. And I'm shoplifting to try to help somebody. Um, my mindset was not always, I, I, I still thought that I was the Robin Hood of the neighborhood. I had to help everybody. And, I, and if shoplifting was one of them, I did it. But that senior year, it changed my life. Um, I didn't know I was going to graduate from Lawrence. To tell you the truth, if you would have asked me, my sophomore year was when I was sitting on a, on a fire escape over there by one of the dorms. And I was down looking at the field and seeing those college graduates. And I says, man, I want a diploma. I need a diploma. I'm not going to go anywhere if I don't get a diploma. And, uh, and so I started working for the diploma, even though I was still wrestling um, and I wanted to graduate. My GPA was horrendous. I didn't even know what GPA was. I went to, I was going to college. I, what, the, what the heck is a GPA? I'm a kid. GPA, who cares? You know, it's like, I just want to wrestle. Um, but that senior year, I went off after that to wrestle for Puerto Rico internationally. Um, it changed my life at Loris. If you would ask, ask anybody at Loris, I was the Puerto Rican that was running all over campus all the time. I never walked. I always ran. And then I got a motorcycle. So then I was always everywhere with my motorcycle. Um, intense high, strong, high energy. Um, so that, that was my life, you know, that was just who I was. But that senior year, I remember when I won nationals and I came home, I rode to one of the highest points of Loris and I just looked at the sky and I said, I'm a national champ. Um, it dictated a lot of what's happened in my life afterwards. Um, it really shot me up to do things that I probably would have normally not done. Um, but I knew I could do it because those guys that won nationals in, in, in 89 and 90 and in 91, I beat them. I beat those guys. I'm like, I should have been a three-time All-American. Um, we probably would never had this conversation. Uh, but, you know, I, I went on to wrestle for um, Puerto Rico. I was their national champ for a couple of years. Um, I qualified for the Pan-American Olympic trials. I placed fourth. I qualified our weight class for Puerto Rico. They could have sent me to the Barcelona Olympics, but because I was born in the United States, because they did not see an investment in me, they would not send me to Barcelona. Um, I didn't find that out till years later. I was ranked 19th in the world uh, for wrestling um, that year, but Puerto Rico frowned upon wrestlers that were born over here and went over there and dethroned their Puerto Rican champions. Um, it wasn't my fault. I was just born in the United States and had a, what you could say, a privileged opportunity to wrestle with better wrestlers. When in Puerto Rico, it's like going to a high school where there's 600 students and, and out of those 600 students, 30 of them wrestle. Versus going to high school where there is 1,500 students and 200 are trying out for wrestling. You know, you're going to battle every year. It's that thing. Puerto Rico is a small country. The United States had this huge venue 
So you're going to get better. They just didn't appreciate it. And um, I made a lot of waves over there too. I got myself in some hot water because I would, I, I would wrestle with my heart. I wrestled uh, in 1993. I was wrestling for Puerto Rico in a Central American Games. And my second, my first match, I pinned the kid from the Dominican. My second match, Ecuador tried to throw me, broke and dislocated my wrist. I went to the doctors that night. I didn't know it was broken. I beat him 11 nothing. Went to the doctors, got it checked out. They said, you need surgery. I said, fix the bone. I'm wrestling tomorrow. I got one more match. They thought I was ludicrous. They said, no, you're done. You're done. You need surgery. I said, first of all, we're in Puerto Rico. Nobody's going to cut my hand here. Second, I have one more match. When I'm done, then you can tell me what you think you want to do. Again, that just, I had this chip on my shoulder that nobody could knock off. I was, I, I come from nothing. And to where I'm at now in my life, to see where I came from, I went on to wrestle that next match. I forced them to pop the bone back in place, tape my arm up. I'm losing 6 nothing. I win 11-6, and I made it into the finals. At that point, they casted me. I was done. I won a silver medal for Puerto Rico. I went on to still wrestle for Puerto Rico for a few more years. and and But in 1996, I was going to try out for the next Olympics, the Atlanta. And I prayed this prayer. I said, God, if you want me to keep wrestling, you need to show me. If you want me to stop, you need to show me that too. That day, I was in Wisconsin visiting my mom, running. I ran 10 miles that day, 9.9 tenths of a mile to make it 10. I said, that's a sign. I'm this old and I still got it. I'm wrestling hard. I'm running hard. I can run 10 miles on the drop of a dime. I can do anything. So my attitude, I was going to wrestle. That night, I was sitting down, taking a Bible study that I didn't want. And I get a phone call from a head coach telling me that he quit. And he wanted me to be the head coach at Western New England University now. And I was like, what? I, I always told myself the day I became a coach was the day I would quit wrestling for myself. That's how I left wrestling for myself. Um, but I think I had accomplished everything I needed to. Um, everything that at least I, I was supposed to do, I accomplished it. Um, I didn't make it to the Olympics that 96, but I was okay with it. I actually went and watched, um, but I was okay with that because I became an accomplished wrestling coach, you know, and uh, my first year as a head wrestling coach, I was national rookie coach of NCAA Division III. Um, I had two All-American, two national qualifiers, two All-Americans, academic All-Americans underneath me. I pushed kids not only to do better, not only to look for a degree, but I pushed them to do the best they could on the wrestling mat. And I felt that at that point, I, I reached a dream job. I was a probation officer. I had wrestling coach. Probation was paying the bills. Head wrestling coach was my dream. I was doing, I was living the dream. That's where I was at. So I know that's where God led me until I am where I am now. So how was the adjustment, you know, from being a wrestler to now being a wrestling coach? Because you know, obviously you can still kind of get on the mat, you know, when you're coaching and if you're drilling and whatever, but you know, it's a different mindset. Like you're not actually in it now. Like now you're kind of turning over the reins and everything that you've instilled in your wrestler, there's, it's kind of out of your control, you know? And so 
it sounds like as someone who kind of likes to be in control of those situations and, you know, being on the action, how is that different, you know, from being a wrestler to now being a coach? I got to tell you, it was exhilarating. Um, when I was an assistant coach at Loris College, I don't know that you guys know that either, but I became an assistant grad student. And uh, while I was there, I was in Stevens Point, and I'm asking God, and I used to have these weird conversations with God. I'm asking God, if you want me to be a coach, you need to show me. And there was three kids from Trinity College, and I started coaching them. They were Mexican, and I started coaching them in Spanish. They each won their next match. One of them came up to me and says, my coach doesn't know anything. Could you keep coaching me? I was like, I'm supposed to be a coach. That was my answer. So when, when I got the call to be a head coach of this college, it was like exhilarating. It was like the best thing since sliced bread to me. I was in a corner. And if you ever watch me coaching, you think that I was wrestling the match myself. I'm on the edge of my chair. I'm yelling like those guys can hear everything I say. I'm just revving it up. I'm in your face, coach, telling you, hey, this is what you got to do. This, And I'm fast. And uh, there was a kid, Jesse Morrison. He shouldn't have been an All-American, according to the statistics. He was second in the conference. Nobody should have made All-American. Jesse Morrison came up to me. He goes, coach, you think I can make it? I says, you're in Nationals, right? He goes, yeah, you'll be an All-American. And I, he looked at me like, are you serious? I studied every wrestler that he was going to wrestle. That was my tactic. It wasn't just, I knew what my kid was about. I knew how good he was. I didn't, I needed to know who he was going to wrestle. So I would go through the mats. I would look at the charts. I would read everything. I would make sure I knew the next opponent and what his favorite move was. And I would do the circuit. I would talk to the coaches. Hey, I, we're going to wrestle this kid. What's he like? And I got every skinny on every kid that my wrestlers were going to wrestle. So the transition, it was like going from a pair of Reeboks to a pair of Adidas. You know, it's like it just right in. Um, and it was exciting. Uh, hold on, I was getting caught. It was exciting. To me, it was like it was like normal. It was like from riding a bike to riding a motorcycle. It's just a smooth transition because somewhere inside of me, I knew that I was meant to be a coach. And so the transition went easy. Um, I loved every minute. My first year, I actually um, coached Jesse Castro was a coach at some other college. And he handed me a team, which I took to the Ukraine. And I was the USA, Ukraine, uh, uh, USA NCAA Division Three wrestling coach. I got a huge picture. I was just sending you that um, of being the USA coach for that team. Um, it was great. It was, it was awesome. It was phenomenal. Um, you know, do it, taking that team overseas, coming back. Um, just my wrestling program was in the top 20. You, you guys, you can look at these statistics in those years, 96, 90, 90, 95, 96, 96, 97. My wrestling team, Western New England college was ranked in the top 20. Those two years, the former wrestling coach came back and wanted the program. At that time, I got married and I walked into a church to find out who God was for me. That transition was special because my life shifted from that moment on. 
um, it was great. You know, I mean, I don't regret it. I still stayed involved with wrestling throughout the years. I helped AIC, uh, um, American International College in Springfield. I helped Springfield Techno College. I jumped into some high school wrestling. Never let it become a conflict because my day of worship now is the Sabbath. It's Saturday. So that's why I get invited to a lot of these things. And I don't go because I'm usually preaching. But this just happens that I, I, I'm working on a degree, so I don't. I, I, my schedule was open. I said, you know what? I, I think I'll do this this time. Um, so that's 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 how it transitioned. I loved I loved my career as a coach. And uh, if you would have asked me, I was going to retire as a wrestling coach. Loved every minute. I was my goal was to become an athletic director or slash Spanish teacher but I has a wrestling coach in some program. Um, it wasn't until I walked into a church with my wife. We've been married 24 years. That's how long I've been away from the wrestling uh, head coaching or any type of head coaching position um, in my life. I, walk, I just walked away from it. I still coached a couple of kids here and there. I've been on the wrestling mat. My kids never liked wrestling, so I didn't push them. But um, I, every time I get a kid that wants to know something, I'm happy to teach them. Well, I was just go ahead. No, I was as we as we kind of talked. You know, it it seems like an underlying part of you know who you are is that desire to help people and to make a difference. And you know, I think going off of what your line of work has been, you know, with the probation officer and um, preaching, you know, you have that connection no matter what you're doing to be helping people. So it seems like it was a kind of a natural progression throughout your whole life. And a lot of it's just so amazing hearing your story. A lot of it really started with your experience as a wrestler. Yeah. Listen, when I became a wrestler, I had a rule in the neighborhood. This was my only rule. Don't do drugs. If you did drugs, you couldn't hang out with me and I wasn't going to hang out with you. So some of my good friends were smoking weed. My younger brothers, they tried weed. I never tried drugs. So wrestling gave me this rule of living healthy, of being a health nut and not touching that junk that was on the streets. And it changed my life. It, it gave me, it propelled me in different aspects of my life where I came from a really broken home, uh, drug infested neighborhood, uh, a lifestyle that I wouldn't wish it on anybody. Uh, I could tell you stories that you would, you would say, what? But God led. I know. I look back now. Now I can look back and tell you, I know he was leading me to get me to Lawrence College. Listen, I wasn't a church going guy. I'm at Lawrence College. That's a Catholic college. I was attending masses to ask God to help me stay healthy my senior year because my buddy taught me that. The, the Annabelle Nieves said, man, you want to have a good season? You need to go to church. So I started trying that. I said, nothing, everything else not, seems not to be working. Let me go to church. And I used to go to mass at Loris College and just, I didn't know how to talk to God, but I would tell him, hey, come. And, you know, all the, all the things that, I, all the places I've stepped in, you're right. From when I was a kid, I used to bring all the kids in the neighborhood to come play baseball or join wrestling. I later on, I started working with kids in, in different gyms to maintain. I used to be the a YMCA guy over there in, in Dubuque, Iowa, doing the birthday parties working with kids. I left there. I became a social worker for juveniles. I became a probation officer 
for juveniles. I was a captain of my wrestling team in the Marine Corps in high school and in college to help my fellow wrestlers. I was a juvenile probation officer, helping young people to know their next step in life was my goal. It, I think that's what my career is. Even now, I, I've, I've worked with different programs throughout our church. You'll never find my name on this, but you can Google when you get off with me, the world's largest human cross. And you're going to find that in 2019, the Seventh-day Adventist Pathfinder Organization in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, broke the world record. You know who the logistical guy to make that happen on the ground was? Me. You'll never see my name in the World Guinness World Book of Records. But I can send you the picture of the certificate they gave me for accomplishing that goal. Again, you may put this out. Somebody may hear it. I was hesitant because as much as I have a chip on my shoulder, it's not because I think I'm better than anybody. It's always been because I come from nothing and I've had to fight for everything. I don't have a family that has supported me financially, even spiritually. My mother didn't raise any of her children in the church. And, you know, and I look back now and I thank God, the wife that I have, the kids that I have, I'm a granddad. And, you know, this is a nice privilege. This is an honor to, I used to dream of being inducted into the Wrestling Hall of Fame for how many wins I was going to have as a wrestling coach. My first two years, I had 40 wins, four losses, two ties. I was just on a rampage. I said, man, in 10 years, I'll have close to 300 wins. They got to induct me into the Hall of Fame then. So I had goals. Now I don't look at that. I look at, you know what? I want to see how many people I can get to know Jesus Christ. I want that. I want that Hall of Fame to get people into that wall where God is their, their leader. Um, yeah, you said it right. My career has always been to help people. When they told me about being a social worker, I was on the mountains of Puerto Rico driving a bunch of wrestlers to the next meet. And they told me about being a social worker and helping kids. And I just said, what? You, that's a job? I want to do that job. You know what my degree was? Spanish and sports management. I had no business being a social worker. I had no business being a probation officer. But because I took Spanish at Loras College, Dr. Kritzman talked me into taking Spanish as a double major. It propelled me in all these jobs that I became a social worker, a probation officer, a case manager. Everything I've done has been to help young people become better in their future. Um, I don't regret it for one minute. I don't regret it. Walking away from wrestling, I don't regret it because God let me. If I told you I was planning on doing the day that I was losing my wrestling job, listen, I had a plan. The guy that was taking the job, I said, how can I kill this guy and get away with it? That was in my head. And God did not let it happen. He just, I, my wife and I got married. I walked into a church. I called him back just to apologize because I learned if you think it, you've done it. So I called him up to say, I'm sorry. I even thought about it, but he never wanted to hear my apology, but I was okay with God. You know, I was like, ah, you know, God changes your lives. And I know that now I've been a pastor going on 17, 18 years. You know, I'm, I live in Georgia. 
I got a call that this young lady who prayed for me died and wanted me to do her funeral. So guess what? This is where I'm at today. I just, I did her funeral services. On Saturday, I'm in Massachusetts. I'm gonna do a wedding for a young lady that was my probationer in 1998. So my ministry is wherever God takes me to help whoever I need to help. And it's just nice to, to look back and say, hey, thank you, Lord, you know, you've been guiding me all this time. Laura's played a big part in my life. It just, it grounded me to get the degree. It focused me to be a national champ and it supported me. So I, I do thank Laura's because it played an important key in my life to direct me in the right direction. So it was always, it's always good, good fond memories that I think of Laura's College. Absolutely. And as you said, I did not know a lot of this about you. I know we've talked briefly before, um, but obviously I've never been able to get this in depth about your story and hearing it is absolutely incredible as to where you came from, what you accomplished and how you're continuing to have an impact um, on so many different people in a completely diverse uh, walks of life you know, across all different things and across sports and just general life and in the community. And so um, you know, on behalf of all of us with the athletic department in the Hall of Fame, congratulations. It's an honor that you've definitely deserved. Um, and we're excited to celebrate with you in person coming up in October. It's going to be exciting. It's exciting. I'm excited to be up there. I'm excited Absolutely. to be up there. And we're excited to have everyone back, you know, both the classes of 2021 or 2020 and 21 um, back celebrating together. And so that induction ceremony will be on Friday, October 1st at the Grand River Center. And there'll be more celebration happening at the halftime of the football game on October 12th. So we are very excited, as I said, to have everyone there um, in person. And anyone listening can follow along for all things Loris Athletics online at dohawks.com or on social media by searching Loris College Athletics on Facebook or Loris Athletics on Twitter and Instagram. So Pete, give me one more go Dohawks. Go Dohawks. Go Dohawks. <laughs>